And I'm so glad to be here this morning and, and to be able to share the Word of God. You know, when you get in the kind of shape where you're not able to get up and do what the Lord's called you to do, it's pretty, uh, pretty challenging to just uh, battle through that stuff. But today I feel good. I'm grateful for that. I appreciate uh, uh, each of you for being here and believe that God has something to say to us. But if you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, we just want to extend again a, a, a warm welcome. We appreciate you being here. We know you could be anywhere else you wanted to be, but you chose to be here. And it really is our heart desire that, that you have a genuine, true, and life-changing encounter with God. I mean, this whole thing is about Jesus. Amen? This whole thing is about us encountering Jesus on a personal level. You know, so often we're just kind of used to just, uh, you know, just performing religious rituals and, and uh, you know, just doing our uh, offering up lip service to God. And I, I wonder sometimes if, if there was an atheist that were to come to our church, if, if they would even believe that God exists by the way that we worship the God that we say exists. And so uh, I want to talk about this today uh, for just a little bit. Uh, I want again this Friday and Saturday we're going to be having our 24-hour prayer, uh, corporate prayer time of corporate prayer, and it's important that you understand why we're doing what we're doing. We don't do anything for the purpose of wasting your time. If we put out announcements, if if we schedule something, we don't do it for the sake of just doing that. We really believe that it is absolutely essential for us to do these things in order for us to do what God's called us to do. And I know sometimes people think that 24-hour prayer, that that's, that's radical or that's a little bit much or, or, or whatever. You know, the, the truth is, is that, you know, Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray. You know, so if there's expectation that we fast, we pray, that we seek God. And, you know, listen, if to get something that you've never uh, had, you have to be willing to do something you've never done. So I want to encourage you, if you've not been a part of any of these prayer meetings, uh, go out there and sign up and just put your name down on a particular time. If somebody else has already filled that time, make sure you go ahead and just, uh, you know, put your name beside it. You don't have to come here to pray. We're going to have people here praying, but we believe that for us to do what God's called us to do through this Daring Faith campaign that's going to be lasting for the next three years, we believe we're going to have to give birth to it in prayer. And then we're having these meetings once, you know, once a month on Sunday evening. We're not, again, we're not doing that just to get another service in. You know, we're having that so that we can continue to keep our focus where it needs to be because there's a lot of things that God has called us to do. And you know, we went through the Daring Faith sermon series and we laid out the different uh, goals and the different uh, miracles we're expecting God to do in, uh, uh, in our lives and through our lives and in our community and in our church. And, and then we talked about Commitment Sunday where we made commitments, financial commitments. And uh, you know, all these things are, are important because it's not about fundraising, it's about faith raising. And so we're kind of centered around that. That's kind of where we're, we're going and where we're going to stay focused on. So, again, everything that we do, there's a method behind our madness. But uh, either way, also, Richard Holmes will be here Sunday night. I'm telling you, if you miss, you will miss out. I mean, this guy's one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard preach. I mean, and he's just not something that he preaches. It's something the way he lives his life. You know, he's planted a church in Pikeville. And uh, in, in, in 10 years, has grown to around 500 people. And, and again, you, you, I promise you, you, you'll be disappointed if you weren't here. So next Sunday night, starting at 6 o'clock. But if you open up your Bible, 
I want you to turn it over to the book of Malachi. I'm going to try to build upon uh, the foundation that Clay has already uh, shared over the next three weeks, or since the past three weeks, but I just will not wax so eloquent. What was that thing you said last week that I just thought was just, that was incredible? How, what, what, come on, man, bring it to me. What was it again? Yes, you do. You were talking about, you know, this is, you were making a grammatical, you know how he is, you know. He just, I mean, he knows the Greek word for announcements, you know what I mean? And I don't say this to, to, to just belittle or to laugh. I'm just saying the brother's packing. And listen, when somebody brings something to you, like what he's been bringing to you uh, for the last three weeks, you're a blessed man. You're a blessed woman. I appreciate that. But what we're going to talk about today, and this probably doesn't sound like a, a, uh, a sermon on, on uh, worship, but what I want to talk about is when God says, shut the door. When God says, shut the door. In Malachi chapter number 1, we're going to read uh, starting in verse 6. And if you're there, say amen. Verse 6 says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then that I am your father, where's my honor? If I am a master, then where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name. In other words, you know, the, the priest and, and the Levites were basically like the, the praise and worship team of the Old Testament. And so he says to them, you have defiled or offered defiled food on my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? By saying that the table of the Lord is contemptible, verse 8. And when you offer blind sacrifices, is this not evil? And when you offer lame and sick sacrifices, is this not evil? Now notice what the Lord says here. Offer then to your governor and see if he be pleased with you. Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord? Verse 9. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord? Verse 10. Who is there? Notice what he says here. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors? He's talking about the doors of the temple. Who is there among you that would shut the door so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain, for I have no pleasure with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept the offerings from your hand, verse 11. And from the rising of the sun until its going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered my name and the pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that in the next few moments together that you'd speak to us personally and corporately through your word. Lord, you are a God that needs nothing, who has everything. But God, there is something that you desire from us, and that is our whole heart. I pray that you would speak through this message in the book of Malachi, and reveal to us as we hold the mirror of your word in front of our face and look and see where we are and where we stand and why we do what we do and whether it's pleasing to you or not. Teach us something about worship we've never heard before, we've never learned before. 
And may you do a great work in our midst, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor and says, when God says, shut the door. You know, because I'm a pastor and a leader, uh, I receive on a, on, a, on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, uh, a lot of different things in the form of, of letters, magazines, uh, emails that teach you about how the church couldn't grow when you use these different types of resources. And so, you know, they, they teach you about how to structure and how to organize. They, they claim to be professionals in the area of church growth, and now there's a whole big thing about church growth. And, and, and so these are considered to be the professionals and the experts. If you do the things that we do, because uh, if you don't do the things that we do, you're not going to grow, you're not going to be blessed, you're not going to prosper. You know, so you hear all these things, and apparently all of these people are the only ones that have these secret things that will help your church go into and experience explosive growth. And so I receive these all the time. They're supposed to teach us, you know, how we should organize and structure. Now, listen, I have no problem with organization or structure. You know, I believe that, that we need to have organization and structure. And I believe God will use organization and structure to fulfill his purpose. What I also believe is that God will not allow us to use organization and, stru and structure in order to accomplish his purpose. God, just because there's importance and there's a need for us to have uh, systems in place, for us to have strategies, we're to have, you know, these, these different types of principles that the experts say, if you do this, you're going to uh, grow rapidly. Now, God can use these things, but God will never be used by these things. And so what happens is when we glean principles off of people or off of other churches, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but the problem is we don't have the spirit and the heart of what these people do in order to accomplish what God's calling them to do. So it's not about just uh, creating a model or following a, a method. And, and it's important for us to understand God will use those things. But here's the thing that we have to also realize is that it is possible to convert people to our methods and our programs and our structure without them ever truly being converted to Christ. You know, we can convert them through, you know, a certain type of singing or a certain type of preaching or a certain type of, of just, uh, you know, do this and do that, that that's not necessarily biblical. And so people respond or people, you know, they, they respond to this method, they respond, you know, to this structure, to this type of thing, to that uh, type of thing, and God will use that. But my concern is that we use that in the wrong way, with the wrong heart, with the wrong spirit, and ultimately it's just nothing more than dead, dried up religious activity. Are you with me? So, you know, there's nothing wrong with those things. I have no problem against conferences and seminars and systems and structures and programs. All those things are, are, are good within themselves, but here's what I honestly believe. I believe the church in the United States, and even here today, that, that we are so dependent on the next great idea to grow our church. And the reason that we're, we're so dependent upon that is because there is an absence 
of the awesomeness and the greatness and just the worthiness and the holiness of seeing God for who he is. I think we resort to these things. We become dependent on these things because there's an absence of God in our midst. We do these things because we want to add people to our, uh, our church. We want to see the seats filled. We, we want to see the numbers increase. And, and listen, it's very easy for us to use those things and then make them an idol. You know, you can worship worship. You know, a preacher can worship preaching. You know, a teacher can worship teaching. It's all about the alignment of our heart. But I believe the reason why we're so quick to try to find out what the next church is doing and the next church is doing and the next church is doing is because there is something that we will acknowledge but not publicly is missing in our congregation. And what is missing is the greatness of the glory of God. I'm convinced that in this hour, that the greatest thing that the church can experience right now is a revelation of just really and truly how amazing God is. You know, when we first get saved, we are so blown away that he would do something like go to the cross for a sinner like me. You know what I'm saying? We're grateful for that. But over the process of time, we go from being grateful to ungrateful. We tend to forget where we come from and how God brought us through what we, he brought us through. And so listen, the farther away you get from the cross the more religious you actually become. And so we need to have a revelation of the cross. We need to have a revelation of the greatness and the glory of God. Otherwise, if people are not being converted by the presence of the Holy Spirit, then they're being converted by something else. It's important for us to realize that you know, this is what we believe, why we believe it, and how that we live it. Because the danger is this. The danger is we can learn how to do church. It's dangerous. If you've been in the church longer than five years, you're in extreme danger of becoming a very religious person. Some reason the culture of the church becomes toxic to the point that we think that while we're here is for me. I want to see what they have to benefit me. I want them to sing this song, and I want them to sing that song, and I can't believe they're not using the hymnals anymore. I can't believe they put their words on the screen, and you know, I can't believe they do the smoke and mirrors and all that stuff. You know, all that stuff is it's, it's irrelevant if we don't have God. And so I want to give you three things here real quickly that God says through Malachi chapter number one about shutting the door in worship. Now, just a little bit of a background. You know, in the Old Testament, God instituted certain type of sacrifices that the children of Israel would participate in on a daily, regular basis. And then there were people called the priests and the Levites. 
what they did, they took those sacrifices, they took those things, and then they would go to God into the temple, and then they would sacrifice them and offer them for the sin of atonement or as a thank offering or a wave offering or a grain offering or whatever it may be. So there was a system in place that God said, this is what you're supposed to do. You are to abide by these sets of rules, and the reason I instituted these rules is for your benefit. See, a lot of people think that, that the, the do-nots in the Bible is God saying you can't have a good time or being a Christian is not fun or it's all about, you know, uh, performing or it's all about trying to make yourself good enough. No, God was saying, look, I have an institution. I have something that I have, have uh, in, uh, put in place that, that you can actually approach me through worship. And so these sacrifices, what they were, they were the worship of the Old Testament. And so in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 1, God weighs in on his thoughts about what he thinks concerning the worship that's going on in that particular time. Now think about this. Before you, we go any farther, I want you to, number one, understand who he's talking to. Okay? Put yourself in their shoes. And just imagine for a moment what it must have felt like to hear what God is about to say to them. Now just put, you, put yourself in those shoes for a moment. He's basically saying in verse number 10, he says, Who is there among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain, I have no pleasure with you, says the Lord of hosts. Can you imagine being these people? Could you imagine being the, the priest and the Levite and, and the people that were living in that time and saying, look, it would be better off for you to go and close the door and stay at the house then continue to do what you're doing. Now, I'm just, I, I feel like this is what God wants me to say. I'm not going to uh, apologize for it. I do want to speak it in the right way. But I believe God is wanting to bring some clear perspective in our lives about what worship is all about. And I also believe that he wants to bring some correction in our lives so that we can be better worshipers. And so could you just imagine God saying, okay, we're, we're putting ourselves in their shoes. That it would be better for you to close the door, just go home, than to continue on being religious people and bringing to me half-hearted efforts and then calling it worship. I mean, can you imagine hearing that? I mean, that's in the Bible. You ever heard a priest before? You have today. You come to the right day. But could you imagine these people making sacrifices? Or in today's, you know, uh, language, it would probably say, you come to church, you sing the songs, you lift your hands, you get emotional, you, you get passionate, you are very sincere. But you know what? You can be very sincere and be sincere about the wrong thing. 
These people were genuine and sincere, but they were insincere or they were sincere about the wrong thing. So listen, is it possible for us to gather together and worship in a way that insults the one we claim to worship? I mean, think about that for a minute. Is it possible for us to be here today and what we do during the service end up being a defilement to God that God says, don't even do that. It's better that you shut the... Who will shut the door for me? Who will shut the door? Because you know what? He's weighing out our worship. Not just our worship team. We are worshipers. And so he's saying, why are you doing what you're doing? What you're doing, your praise and worship actually is insulting to me. You know, it's impossible for you and I to come to the house of God and our hearts be so disconnected from God that it probably would have been better off if we didn't come. Now, if you use what I just said not to come, then you're still in trouble. You know why? Because when you really give your life to Jesus, you don't belong to yourself anymore. And so here's three things I want to give you pretty quickly about why God told this particular generation to shut the door. Number one, they lost sight of the greatness of God. They lost sight of the greatness of God. In, in Malachi's time, the people that were involved in the worship of God, the priests, the Levites, his particular people, they were so engrossed in worship with all of the different sacrifices that they were offering on a regular basis that their worship stopped being about their relationship with God and their worship became a religious ritual. And as a result of that, listen to me, as a result, they started losing sight of the greatness of God. The first step in insulting God during our time of worship is to lose sight of just how great He is. Anytime we come and we focus more on our problems than our problem solver. Anytime that we come and we're focused more on how we feel instead of who he is. The more we're so concerned about what we like and what we want instead of being concerned about what he likes and he wants, that is the first step to God saying, shut the door. I mean, this is, it's in the Bible. And so as a result of losing sight of the greatness of God, we also begin to take for granted who he is and what he's done for us. Let me just break that down just in case you don't understand what it's saying. What God is saying in these verses is that when you come in on Sunday morning and you give a half-hearted effort, or what you do is nothing more than just a religious ritual. When you just simply go through the motions. When you don't diligently try to seek God and discover who He is in an incredible way. When you begin to lose sight of the privilege it is for you just to be here, you are in danger of losing the presence of God. 
Now, there was a, 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 a scripture in the Old Testament that talked about that God, when he withdrew his spirit, he wrote the word Ichabod over the doorway, which simply means the glory had departed. And, you know, when the glory of God had departed, you would think that those kinds of places would be completely empty of people. I personally believe that in a lot of churches across America and complete and total denominations are, 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 are giving themselves into apostasy. And you know what? Their churches are full because everything is all right. Same-sex marriage is all right. You know, fornication is all right. Doing this is all right. Doing that is all right. Whatever you feel like doing, it's okay for you to do it. You would think that, that, that these churches would be empty, but it's my opinion that those churches will actually be full. And I'm not saying every seeker-sensitive church is a church where God has departed from. But when you depend more on your methods and your models than you do simply trying to seek the face of God and stand in awe of who God is, and when you, when you tend to focus on those methods and models, you know what? You missed out the whole reason of why we're here. God says, shut the door. He said, oh, that somebody would shut the door that you would stop worshiping him. Because it's better to shut the door and go home than to just go through the motions and insult God. Would you agree with that? I know this is hard. But you know what? This is exactly what happened in Malachi's day. From the very beginning of the book of Malachi, it's a very, very short book. It's, it's four chapters. Ten different times in four short chapters, God talks about his name. It uses his name three times in verse 11 alone. Listen to this. From the rising of the sun, even to the going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense, or you can replace that word with worship, and every place where worship is offered, my name and the pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Ten times God talks about his name in the book of Malachi. Ten times. Anytime God says something ten times, especially in a shorter book of the Bible, but not less important, he's trying to get a message across. He's talking about the way they worship. And they're saying, the way that you worship is not making me look great. It might be making you look great. It might be making you feel good. It may be, you know, making you feel better. But the truth is, if it's not about making God great, we should just shut the door and go home. That, that's the problem, I believe, in the church across America. Listen, you know, people look at church and they just approach it like shopping at a shopping center. They think, we like this, but we don't like that. 
We like this, and then we don't like it. I'd go there if they did this. You know, I'd go there if they, they did that. And listen, there are some things that a church should have that is appealing to people, but it's not pleasing to people. But the greatest thing we have to offer lost people is the real Jesus. I mean, the greatest secret in the American church is the real Jesus. Somebody ought to turn him loose and let him do what he wants to do. But the problem is when the real Jesus is, is communicated and seen and is visible, we all of a sudden, we want to move and come alongside of him and help him. Listen, he was God before you were born. He will be God long after you're gone. He stands alone. He has no equal. He's transcendent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's higher than the heavens. Listen, you can't go anywhere. That God is not already there except to a church that he says, shut the door. You say, that's kind of Old Testament. Well, you read the book of Revelation. The Bible says, this is the revelation that Jesus gave John in, in Revelation 4. He knocks on the door of the church. Which means there's somebody outside and there's somebody inside. Guess who's left out on the outside? But the church is, 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 is just packed out, full of people. And he's going, let me in. I believe that's exactly what God is saying to us to this church and across America today. He said, I've been on the outside so long. People have become addicted to a religious ritual. I wonder if the Holy Spirit came up to you and smacked you right across the jaws. Would you know it was him? I mean, I think about this sometimes. I sit back and I think, God, I don't even belong in America. I like an air conditioning, but I don't belong in America. But this is what he says. You've lost sight of what this thing is all about. And here's, here's the thing that is so convicting and so dangerous. I want, you to, I want you to feel the heaviness, the weightiness of this statement. Listen. The convicting and dangerous thing in Malachi 1 is that God's people were so engrossed in their religion and their religious activity that they had no idea that what they were doing were, was defiling the name of God. They thought that they had figured out the secret. They thought they had become experts. They would probably in today's time get hired by some professional term uh, or, or a, a professional company and then they would come and evaluate and this and this and this and this and this and this. You know what? They thought, can you imagine? I mean, the absolutely terrifying thing about these verses is this. We can be doing what we want to do thinking that God is pleased with what we're doing and he says, you know what? Shut the door and stop worshiping me in vain. And people say, you know what? Well, that's Old Testament. 
Well, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 15? He said, these people draw near to me with their lips. They honor me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me, and in vain they do worship me. Why? Because of their traditions and doctrines of men. I mean, think about that for a moment. Boy, it's quiet in here this morning, but it's all right. If it was possible to do it in Israel in that day, it's absolutely possible for us to do it right here in Manchester, Kentucky, to be gathered together in God's name and then offer worship to him that is ultimately insulting. But the first step, listen to this, the first step of God saying, shut the door, is losing losing sight of how great God is. God been good to you. God done anything for you. Do you know what it's like to have your sins forgiven? Do you understand what it means to have your your transgressions pardoned? Do, Do you know what it's like for him? Think about this for a moment. He makes the statement. He said, if I'm your father, then where's my honor? Why don't you honor and respect me? The first thing you have to understand about what it means to recognize God's greatness is is that you treat God with respect and honor. The problem is when we become so religious that we do our own thing, we just simply say, you know what, God will overlook that. He'll overlook this. So when we begin to compromise, we'll say, you know what, well, this won't hurt anybody. It's just a little white lie. I was expecting you. Isaiah 40, 25 and 26. It says, to whom will you have to compare me to? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them by name. He simply says, okay, think of the greatest person that you could imagine. Think of the the brilliant scientist. You know, think of NASA. You know, think of these you know these these brain surgeons. Think of these people that have you know incredible intelligence and intellect. And he says, you know what? I don't have an equal. When you become religious, what you do is you pull God down onto your level and you make God look like you do. You know what that's called? Adultery. When you create a God in your mind to suit yourself and and call it God, that is adultery. And in America, we've got millions of adulterers in our churches and probably some even in here today and some of them that are not here because you know what? We, 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 We choose to worship the idols of the, 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 the American lifestyle. And then we come in here and say, you know what? We'll give God what's left. I've got to hurry. But he says, who do you have to compare me to? Who is my equal? I bring out the starry host one by one and call them by name. You know, the sun is uh, simply a modest star in our galaxy that burns at 6,000 degrees centigrade. It travels at a slow pace of 150 miles per second and it's just one of a hundred billion such stars in our 
galaxy. Not to mention the other millions of galaxies that are beyond our galaxy. But what is more incredible than that is that our God tells the stars where to go and he calls them by name. I mean, can you think about it? Can you comprehend that? You know, it's an, it's an amazing thing. He says he brings the starry host out one by one and calls them by name. And then we just kind of give him a golf clap. I'm not saying be emotional. I'm not saying, you know, hooping and hollering. I'm saying if, if, if you don't stand in awe of Jesus, it's probably because you've never met him. And I'm not trying to make you feel like you have to be like me or anybody else. But you know what? On June the 7th, 1998, I had a true, genuine encounter with Jesus. And he wrecked my life. And I gave everything to him. And Jesus didn't die on the cross to make me a bigger, better version of myself. He come to wreck your life so that you could live his. The gospel is first you die, then you live. So we need to think about how incredible God is. If, if, if you don't stand in awe of him, there probably needs to be a realigning of your heart so that you'll know what worship is all about. He's amazing. Here's the second thing. Once you stop or lose sight of the greatness of God, the second thing that happens is you stop giving God your best. It's very easy for us to become familiar with God and simply just start going through the motions. A little compromise here, a little compromise there. And before long, we're, we're lukewarm and we're, we're backslidden. And I believe the people in Malachi's day that we can probably put our lives in, the, in their lives, what we see in, this, in these scriptures here, put ourselves in their shoes and be pretty close to where they are today. You know, these people thought that they were serving God. They thought that they were giving God, you know, what he wanted. They had no idea that they were completely disconnected from God. But day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, they become more religious and more religious and more religious. And the terrifying thing is this. They had no clue that what they were doing was displeasing to God. Verses 6 through 8, Malachi 1, 6 through 8. It says, A son honors a father, and a servant his master. If then I'm your father, where's my honor? If I'm your master, then where is my respect or reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, How and what way have we despised your name? You who defile food on my altar. But you say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying that the table of the Lord is contemptible, and when you offer up blind sacrifices, is that not evil? When you offer up the lame and sick, is that not evil? Then he gets a little attitude and said, Offer them to your governor. See if he'll be happy. Basically, what he's saying here is that. Your half-hearted, our half-hearted. Now listen, I've had to bake in the same thing myself. I'm not saying that I've arrived. But listen, once you lose sight of God's greatness, the next thing you start doing is you stop giving God your best and you start just giving half-hearted 
efforts to worship God, and, and you look at God as if he's some beggar, some homeless beggar on the street that has a cup in his hand wanting you to drop a few coins in it. And then we call that worship. Listen, when you, when you look at what you do for God as a burden, when, when you dread to come to the house of God and it's a burden, it's simply because your heart is not right with him. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments and my commandments are not burdensome. So they, what they do is they, they lose sight of how great God is. They stop giving their best to God. Now, it's very easy. Now, I'm going to close with this. It's very easy for us to give our best, listen, to our job, our company, to our boss, to our employer who pays our check every week and then come in here and give God leftovers. Let me ask you a question here. What if you gave to God what you give to your employer every week? I wonder what kind of church you would have. Well, let's just just flip that around. What if you gave to God what you give, or you gave to your employer what you give to God every week? I wonder what he would think about that. I'm hearing the crickets chirping. Why is it we give our best to everything else, but when it comes to God's time, we only get together one time a, a week, and it's still a struggle, it's a, it's, it's a dread, it's a burden, or we just do it out of habit, or, we're, or it's just a religious ritual. We, we, we stop understanding that it's a privilege to be here. You don't have to come, you get to. But imagine if you gave to God what you give to your employer and imagine what you give to your employer by what you give to God. I wonder how long you'd have your job. Imagine bringing in your your, your sheet for the week and and looking at your employer. Well, tell me what you did today. Uh, Show me what you did this week. Well, show me what you've done in the past month. He said, you mean you tell me you didn't do anything? He said, no, I've done something. I have been very faithful to show up every single day. But you showed up every day and you did nothing? No. Doing something like showing up work is something. Well, I didn't hire you to show up. I hired you to work. Imagine. And go ahead and come to music. They had no clue. They had no idea what they were doing was insulting to God. The last thing is this. They missed out on the purpose of God. Now, I don't want you to miss out on what God says in Malachi 1.11. You know, up to that point, it's basically been an indictment on the worship that God's people were offering God at that time. And he says, you know what? You've lost sight of who I am and what I've done for you. You used to give your best, and now you give what's left over. And then he says, you know what? Because you were not giving God your best, and because you weren't 
uh, standing in awe and him being like a father. I mean, the greatest privilege in the whole Bible is for God to call you a son or a daughter. Can you imagine that? Imagine if you look to your parents or somebody that, 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 that raised you and an ungrateful child says, well, you had to do it anyways. I didn't ask to be born. But you know what the Bible says in the last days will happen? It says in the last days perilous times shall come. The first thing it lists on this outrageous indictment against people, against God's people is people shall be lovers of themselves. You know why we don't, stroll, uh, we, we don't stay close to the cross? Because we love ourselves more. Whatever you are afraid to lose concerning position and possessions is also equal to the degree that they control your life. Let me ask you a question. Where do you run to when things go bad? Or what did you, do you run to when things go bad? Whatever it is that you run to or whoever it is you run to, that is your God. He says, you know what? People will be lovers of themselves. It goes on down. It says they will be disobedient to parents. God says, you know what? I'm your dad. I'm your father. If I am your father, if you are my son, you know what? Where's my honor? Honor speaks of respect. Honor speaks of, of reverence. He said, where's it at? Why don't you show it to me? If he's the Lord of your life, he says, you know what? If I am your master, why is it so hard for you to do what I say? Jesus said this, why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I ask? But after he gives this convicting message, he says something else that if you don't take a moment and understand it, you'll miss it. In verse 11, he says, My name will be great among the nations, from the rising of the sun to the setting down of the same. In every place, incense and pure offerings are brought to my name. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And so, from verse 10 to verse 11, God switches it around and he says this. You're my people. I brought you out of Egypt. And I brought you to myself. I brought you to the promised land flowing with milk and honey. I gave you houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig. I, you, you've had the best of everything. And he says, you know what? If that wasn't enough, I'll give you even more. I'll even send my son. And so these people stopped being happy, joyful, worshipful people because they become churchy. This church. But you know what? Church is a big deal to Jesus because he said, you know what? I gave my life. So when we have this bad attitude about church in general, it's like saying, Jesus, we love you, but we can't stand your wife. Pretty hard, I know. I want you to let that soak in for a moment. What God's saying in verse 11, He's saying this. 
whether you are in or whether you're out. Whether you're with me or against me. Whether you are going to be on my side or you're going to seek to serve yourself. With or without you, my name will be great. If this church completely dissolves in every nation of the world, its name will still be great. Because with us or without us, his name's going to be made great. This is exactly what Mordecai said to Esther. She's a Jewish orphan married to the president of Iran. And she thinks she's where she at because of winning a beauty contest. And her uncle says to Esther, says, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come from another place. But who knows whether you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. What, what, what Mordecai was saying, you know what? He said, whether you're going to step into this moment and go to the king or whether you don't, God's going to save the Jews with or without you, but you will suffer the consequences. Your family will suffer the consequences because God is going to save a remnant and not everybody's going to be a part of that remnant. But for my name's sake, I will. None of us are irreplaceable. God needs nothing from us. My prayer is not that, that, that we have to do these things, but that we would understand the privilege of working and partnering with God to do what He says He wants done. All oh, the day will come when you want to beg people to come to church. The day will come when you won't have to beg people to worship God. The day will come when, when you won't have to, uh, you know, pet on everybody and make everybody feel good and, you know, kind of smooth things over because they got the feelings hurt. You know, we'll be big girls and big boys one day. My concern is there'll only be a few. What is your relationship with God hinged upon right now? Can you tell me why that you are truly saved? Not by feeling. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. There's a lot of people that know about Jesus, but they don't know who Jesus really is. Stand with me. Now, let me just say this to you. I want you to look at me. I've done a little bit of pastoring today. Not a lot, but some. I, I didn't share this stuff with you so that you go home and feel horrible about yourself. That's not why I shared this with you. I shared this with you because I want to hold the mirror of God's Word in front of you and let you look intently on what it says and then what it says about you. That you would have something to gaze upon. A standard to strive for a goal to reach a, a dream to achieve it's possible to know God it's not just possible it's, it's possible for you to experience God in a greater way than you ever have before aren't you tired of just going through the motions
So don't feel bad if this hits you where you're at. Run to Jesus. Run to the cross. My goal in sharing this for you is not for you to feel bad. If you feel bad, you're letting the devil win. But if your life is not not sizing up and your standard of your life is, is not where it needs to be and your relationship with God is not where it needs to be, then run. Run. Run to Jesus. Don't sit back and, and, and allow your feelings and emotions to cause you to get into self-pity. Self-pity is a demon. He said, I call you sons and daughters. There's nothing greater he could say about you. So, A.W. Tozer said this, You can blame it on circumstances, but backsliding always begins in the heart. Look up here at me, guys. Listen. I don't want anybody walking out. Just out of respect for God and for the word that he has brought to us today. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, let me just ask you a few questions. How is the condition of your relationship with God? I can tell the condition of your relationship simply by observing how that you worship if I were one to look and see. That's why I sit up front with my eyes closed. I don't want to see anybody because that's God's time. Are you in a spiritual rut? Are you going through the motions? What is your worship saying back to God? Have you lost your fear, your reverence, your respect? Do you find yourself backslidden? Have you lost sight of the greatness of God? Have you stopped giving God your best? Is doing God's will important enough for you to change whatever you need to change in order to fulfill it? So in the awkward silence of this moment, ask yourself those questions. Where do you stand? How's your condition in the relationship with God? If you try to measure yourself up and you try to compare to what God has shared and spoken to you, if you find yourself lacking, this altar's open for you. If God's saying, you know what? I'm tired of you going through the religious rituals of worship. I'm tired of you just being satisfied with crumbs that were left for the dogs. I've got so much more available for you. If there's any area of your life do business with God. They're going to sing. They're going to play. God spoke to you. Don't walk out of this place without responding to Him. You don't have to come to this altar. You can do business right where you're at. By all means, do business with God. Father, in the name of Jesus, give us judgment day honesty in our hearts and in our minds. 
Reveal to us, Lord, where we are falling short. Reveal to us, God, where we're just giving lip service to you. Where we're not truly coming just to express our love for you. When we make it more about us and when we think it's all about me and and when we just get sidetracked on what this whole thing is about, that we come and we offer sacrifices and sacrifices that are insulting to you. We want to be a church on fire. We want our hearts to burn with fire. Your word says you cause your ministers to be flames of fire. You said John the Baptist was a burning and shining lamp. God, I pray that you set us on fire today. Burn away all of the all of the stuff that Lord is choking out that fire. For your word says the fire shall always be kindled upon the altar. It shall never go out. In Jesus.